Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Mike DeBernardis, partner at Hughes Hubbard, for another episode of The Corruption Files. Uh, over the next two episodes, we're going to take a deep dive into, frankly, some delicious cases. Uh, they've got things that uh, you really wouldn't expect, couldn't expect, and would never expect, and Hollywood couldn't write screenplays about them because, uh, of course, movies have to be based in reality unless they're fantasy, unless they're FCPA violations. Uh, but today, we're going to take up financial services and sons and daughters, or as I like to say, princes and princelessings. So, that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome back, Mike. Thanks, Tom. And I, I'm looking forward to, to, to discussing the sons and daughters cases and, and, uh, and others as we move forward. So, uh, we've got three sons and daughters cases that we're going to focus on, although we can now expand that to nephews and close friends. Because it really all started with uh, Bank of New York Mellon back in April of 2015, when they hired uh, nephews and a close friend of a official of a uh, national investment company, the Libyan National Investment Company. And the fine was relatively small, but it answered the question of whether an FC, uh, hiring a close family member or a close friend could be an FCPA violation. Uh, with a lot of other factors, and we found that we uh, that it could. The fine was relatively small compared to some of the other fines we're going to see. It was only $14.8 million. But as, uh, as I indicated, it answered that question once and for all. And what we saw was three people hired who did not meet uh, the basic hiring requirements of New York Mellon's uh, graduate summer intern program. Uh, first of all, they weren't graduate students which gives you a hint that perhaps something is amiss. Uh, there were no interviews. Uh, they didn't meet the academic criteria. Uh, but it went beyond that because, the, as most summer internships are indicated by the term summer, it's a summer program. Well, they were given six-month internships, and they were paid more than the regular summer interns. They um, were their visa applications to come to the United States were paid for by BNY, and to top it all off, what little work they did do was on their uncle's account. So uh, we had uh, basically all of the, the negative or bad factors in place uh, with this one. It was an early one, uh, and once again, a lower fine than we see, but maybe I could pitch it over to you, Mike. What did you see in this uh, BNY Mellon enforcement action that caught your attention, and then how did you try to counsel clients uh, with this, the first one of these going forward. Yeah, uh, um, no, that's, that's, that's a great question. And, and a, I think a good description of the key parts to, to this case. Um, you know, it, it, this was the the first of, uh, I think, three or four, uh, ultimately, sons and daughters cases that, that involved financial services firms. The first, the first one to, to resolve, um, I actually think if, if we take a close look at Probably J.P. Morgan. The, the investigation started started there, and, and certainly the conduct appears to have to have started there earlier, at least than it did it at at uh, Bank of New York Mellon. But this is such a tricky area. Hiring people because of their connections is as old as business, right? It, it happens around the world in every in every industry. Uh, it is no surprise that people with with the right connections get more opportunities. And whatever you think about that from a sort of moral perspective or fairness perspective, it, it's, it's the reality. 
And it's not necessarily a violation of the law. But you touched on all of the things that made this a, a really pretty clear violation of the FCPA, right? Uh, it wasn't just that Bank of New York Mellon was hiring relatives of an important client. It was that they weren't necessarily qualified, that the the position wasn't exactly the same as, as it was for other people. They were clearly giving very special benefits to this narrow category of employees, narrow category of candidates. Uh, and the only really justification for that was, well, we, we hope to, to curry favor with their parents or uncles or whoever it is at the close connection. So that's where it became a, a clear violation. Prior to 2015, we and, and other people in the space had been cautioning clients. You have to look at your hiring. Uh, you know, it was no secret that hiring could be a thing of value and, and uh, potentially lead to a violation of the FCPA. Um, this was a, this became along with its, its companion cases, really a, uh, shining example of that kind of an easy one to hold up, uh, to set, to show people that, you know, not only is, is hiring, uh, a, a risk area, but even these, you know, summer internships are now, obviously it's going to depend on the risk and the, the, the industry and what those summer inter internships turn out to be or the, the value they have. But, um, this was, this is sort of that, uh, you know, key case that is, that has been now put up over and over again, uh, for clients as we're discussing this risk area. I remember in uh, the summer of 2015, I was at what used to be the wall street journal risk and compliance journal and a corruption summit, which was held in Washington. And there was actually a, a JP Morgan lawyer there. And it was after this, around the time this enforcement action came out and this statement was, if they don't meet your hiring criteria, end of story, stop, do not go forward, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Little did I know what JP Morgan was uh, in for down the road, but that always struck me as if they don't meet your hiring criteria, you can't hire them because then you have hired them for some other reason. And uh, I certainly agree with everything you can. And, and what I want people to understand out of this podcast is you can hire sons and daughters. It is a risk, but it is a risk. It may be a high risk, but you can manage that risk if you follow uh, some basic guidelines that I hope we can uh, tease out of these three cases. But the, the Mellon case certainly uh, portended or foreshadowed um, the next case, which really was the, the big one. And that was uh, J.P. Morgan in November of 2016 with a fine of $268 million, hiring over 20, in, excuse me, 200 interns hired that had uh, foreign government uh, official or uh, instrumentality officials um, connections. Uh, this case moved into the realm of, um, I'm not quite sure what, if absurd is the word, for two reasons. One was uh, J.P. Morgan profited from hiring these interns to the tune of $100 million. How do we know that? Because they kept a spreadsheet. And anyone who's ever heard me talk knows that the three most important things in any compliance program are the following. Document, document, document. But... As a free practice point, if you're engaging in property corruption, do not keep it in a spreadsheet, uh, which J.P. Morgan did. They had a formal name for this hiring program called Sons and Daughters. Um, it, it was just really beyond belief. They had 
uh, compliance objecting to this program being overridden by the business units. Uh, and I want to just go through some of the stated reasons uh, that some of these interns were hired. And we have this from the documented spreadsheet. Uh, maintain good relationship with client. Quid pro quo for business. Promised IPO work. Father would go the extra mile to help J.P. Morgan. And the hire would significantly influence the role of J.P. Morgan in Asia Pacific. Once again, these came from the spreadsheet itself. And so uh, Morgan recognized it was a clear quid pro quo. Uh, this stunned a lot of people that they would, uh, one, really throw compliance to the side of the road, two, that they would document all this, and three, they were very open internally about the reasons that they were uh, having uh, these, uh, these people hired going forward. Uh, and then there was one other reason given, and, and I'm not quite sure how this works into the calculus, Mike, but it was that once they go through the Morgan hiring program, or excuse me, the internship program, and they go back to work in their uh, home countries, they'll be more likely to use J.P. Morgan. I'm not sure if that's a benefit or not, but it was certainly noted as one of the reasons. Um, then the other interesting thing was J.P. Morgan was represented by Mark Mendelson. Mark Mendelson really led the uh, modern era of FCPA enforcement when he led the FCPA unit, I think from 03 or 04 into uh, 09 in 2010. Uh, he is credited with really developing the modern uh, enforcement uh, investigative techniques used by the FCPA unit and led to an explosion of growth, some of which we talked about in prior podcasts. But he represented Morgan. And there was, uh, Morgan got an MPA out of this. And there, I don't, I think it was more than rumors because it was reported in the press, but that's a memo that Mendelssohn wrote uh, to try to keep Morgan from getting a DPA, which he was successful. Uh, that memo has never been made public, so we don't know what he said in there. But for those who criticize the revolving door, this may be uh, close to example A or, or 1A. Nevertheless, as a lawyer, I can only say he did a great job for his client. And as a uh, from the legal profession perspective, uh, very proud of the work he did on this case in the face of some really bad facts. So uh, I've tried to tee it up. What did you see in Morgan and what intrigued you so much? Yeah, again, you've you've touched the key points. I, one of the things that's, that's super interesting about the fact pattern here is it seems like, um, you know, th this this program went on for seven years, I think, at, at, at Morgan and, and was really embraced, uh, juiced in, in Asia Pacific. Uh, so so, so in, in J.P. Morgan, Asia Pacific. Um, and it moved from uh, where it started as, oh, hey, you know, uh, one of our clients' sons is looking for an internship. We should hire him. Let's give him a little extra give him or him or her a little extra um, uh, look or attention or, or, or maybe move them up to the top of the pile to what it became, which was basically, you know, to be considered for these lucrative uh, positions, you, you had, they were tracking to see what kind of benefit could you give us with your connections, right? And, and as you said, they had the spreadsheet that, that really laid it out very, very nicely for prosecutors um, in terms of the, the, 
expected value and then ultimately the the actual values they could track track their return on investment it was really really incredible i I always uh it it is doesn't happen as much as it used to it doesn't seem but there was a time period where i felt like you know one out of every three fcpa resolution involved excel files was just tracking all the bribe payments It, it was really really incredible they were being very organized about their corruption for a for a short period of time there um i i think uh, you know, when we had Mellon in, in 2015 and then, you know, this got, that got people thinking, then you, you fast forward about a year, a little over a year and, and Morgan drops and it's compared to what Mellon was, which was, you know, SEC cease and desist order, small fine, as you mentioned, about 14 million, including, um, you know, some disgorgement Morgan, you know, 268 million, big number, like you said, a, an NPA, but, um, Really, a, a a big number with with that sort of gives off the seriousness of it. So initially, when when we saw that, you start to try to think, all right, what's the difference? Why why is Mellon sitting there at fourteen million? Only the SEC is involved, and um, and Morgan is much bigger and, and looks like it's much more serious. And you know, I, I think as you start to look at it and realize that they, as you mentioned, profited a hundred million dollars that could be traced to this hiring program. Um, the fact that it went for seven years, I think Mellon um, was was just two years. At least that's what they have in the in the SEC uh, order, uh, and and just the this last element of this isn't just doing favors for clients in the hopes that they're going to do something back. It was a very structured program with the intention of of creating favor. And then you have the the other things that overriding compliance professionals, showing that the compliance controls in place really are not sufficient. And, and that can lead to, to, to bigger numbers and bigger settlements. It was a pretty widely known fact that the Mellon case was not the end of these these uh, sons and daughters cases. So we were all kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think we had we had known that Morgan was, was under investigation for this conduct. But I will say um, when the number first appeared in November 2016, it was, it was very surprising. Uh, the next case, Mike, was Credit Suisse. And we could probably devote an entire podcast series to Credit Suisse uh, and some of their nefarious actions. But here, uh, we're going to limit it to their sons and daughters FCPA violation. This occurred or came down in July of 2018. The fine was $77 million. And the additional factors in this case that came out were uh, not only did they track the um, hiring, and but they actually uh, put a calculation in place in their spreadsheet, which they documented, of the percentage profit for each hire. And in this case, we saw some specific details about why the hire didn't meet the criteria of Credit Suisse. So referral hire number one, was described as, quote, a princess who was not used to too many rounds of interviews. Uh, End quote. Referral hire number two uh, had uh, his family had to intercede directly uh, to him uh, to get him hired. And then he interceded directly with his family members um, to close business on behalf of Credit Suisse. And he actually received a bonus uh, from this. Uh, uh, referral hire number three was the daughter 
of a high-ranking government official, and it was noted, quote, her prospective boss had doubts about her ability beyond getting a meeting set up and completing a PowerPoint slide for a pitch book. Um, Referral hire number four um, was um, quoted as uh, wanting to be promoted as soon as he got there, and the promotion request was deemed to be abnormal. So these are the kinds of facts uh, that Credit Suisse had reported in the uh, settlement agreement, and it demonstrates how it was really outside the norm. The fine and penalty was relatively small compared to the J.P. Morgan fine, but the spreadsheet they put together really took the financial analysis of how these people were used, not simply hiring and did we get the deal, but hiring, how did they intercede uh, with their family members to help us? And then did we pay them a bonus for interceding with their family to help us after we hired them when we shouldn't have? So um, maybe to conclude uh, this uh, podcast uh, with our cases, what about this case you found either interesting, fascinating, or, or unique from the other two? Yeah, I, I guess to, to your point about the, the way that they were tracking the, the payments, I, we probably shouldn't be surprised that these these bankers were really uh, carefully tracking the return on their investment and the, the, the various uh, uh, monetary inputs. But it, it is really pretty remarkable when you see the spreadsheets and, and uh, think about kind of how they were were really being uh super data focus um in in uh in how they're they were paying essentially uh, bribing these officials to me coming off of morgan and mellon uh sort of slotted in right the middle and i I don't mean that just because uh it it was the the in the middle in terms of the the ultimate penalty paid but uh in, in terms of the conduct when you're when you're looking at the three cases and you're and you're comparing them in terms of the length of the conduct, um, what they what they earned, the benefit they earned off of it, uh, and, and how they were tracking it, Credit Suisse sort of fell right in the middle for me, and, and that was, you know, it, it's it was a, um, a a a sophisticated scheme for sure. Um, you know, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, um, Credit Suisse. Hong Kong, similar to, to, to Morgan, got an NPA rather than a DPA. So um, in that sense, when we're, we were looking at these things, trying to figure out, learn lessons and figure out what prosecutors were thinking, um, that was one thing that we noticed, noted, right, was that, was that this is another NPA case. Um, but really, it's it's going back to our initial point about Mellon. For, for all of these cases, we were in a situation where there was a way for, for them, for these banks to hire uh, relatives of important clients that would not have violated the FCPA, um, and I think there was there's a lot of middle ground between what they did and what would be perfectly acceptable. Uh, but there are so many examples in these cases that show that it was a clear quid pro quo, right? It was there was clear intent, and it's not just documentation, uh, but the way that their programs were run, the fact that these people were were by and large not qualified. I mean, you have documentation telling, telling, uh, documenting how poorly they interviewed and, and, and all of these pieces. So, um, when we, when we have counseled clients on this issue, 
Uh, we use these cases as examples, um, but it's really, they're far on one end of the, the spectrum from, from what most clients are dealing with. Um, and I think that to me, the most important takeaway from these cases and, and for, for, for companies that are, have internship programs that are valuable that, you know, maybe you get requests from clients to hire relatives. Um, you, you've already mentioned it, Tom, the, the number one thing before you do anything else, is this person qualified for the job independent of, of who their family members are, are they qualified? And then you can move into other controls, but you know, for, for some companies, this is going to be a high risk area. It, to me, it's actually an area, high risk or low risk that is relatively easy to control, right? Make sure the person is qualified, make sure that they are getting the exact same experience that the other people in the same program are getting. Uh, and if you do those two things, you're going to, you're going to cover yourself 99%, right? There's a, there's the additional 1% of diligence that needs to be done, but those two things alone, which are really not too difficult to do, um, can, can, can cover most of your bases. So I absolutely agree with that, Mike. Uh, I would add a couple of other questions that you might want to ask at the start of the process. In addition to number one, did your candidate, does the candidate meet your firm's hiring criteria? Number two, did the foreign official whose family member you are considering for demand, uh, demand uh, for hire rather, demand or even suggest your company hire the candidate? And number three, has the foreign official made or will make a decision that will benefit your company? The answer to the first question is no, meaning they don't meet the hiring criteria. It should be the end of your inquiry. If the second two inquiries are yes, you've moved to a higher level, I think, of potential FCPA risk. But I would emphasize the point you ended with. Uh, this is a risk that can be managed. Uh, if they do meet your hiring criteria, if they are treated the same as other interns, if they do not work on their family member's account, I think you can structure a way to have a beneficial internship uh, program and relationship with the candidate that does not violate uh, the FCPA. Once again, all of these need to be documented. And the final point is I want to emphasize for compliance professionals, everything Mike and I have talked about here at the end is an internal control. And so uh, if the government comes knocking, you can say, yes, we have an internal control around this specific issue. And if you have laid these controls out in a policy and then procedure, you've got an internal control that you can show them. Hopefully you've documented your decisions uh, at each step with a documented package that I think will uh, satisfy a regulator uh, if you haven't violated your own internal controls. So uh, I'm, you have persuaded me that um, this is uh, certainly a risk that can be managed. I think it can be a higher risk, but it can be managed and it can be something that can be beneficial for you going forward. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, okay, Mike. Well, uh, this one was a ton of fun, but uh, we're going to have a lot of fun in our next episode where we look at four telecom cases. I can't wait. Looking forward to it, Tom.